This podcast is brought to you by RMA, the Risk Management Association. RMA's sole purpose is to advance the use of sound risk management principles in the financial services industry. Learn more at rmahq.org. Hi, I'm Fran Garrett, Director of Global Markets Risk and Securities Lending at RMA. This past summer in 2020, RMA conducted a survey on the potential for negative rates in the United States. The survey originated in discussions with RMA's Global Markets Risk Council as coronavirus and uncertainty dominated the markets. Additionally, the Federal Open Markets Committee took the Fed Fund's target rate to the effective zero rate floor. Council members concluded that a survey covering the potential for a U.S. negative rates policy, the probable industry impact, and financial firms' readiness to operate in a negative rates environment would be valuable to the industry. The primary conclusion of the survey is that the probability of negative rates policy remains low, but is not trivial. Financial firms would therefore do well to consider the implications of negative rates and assess their preparedness to manage in a negative rates environment. Today, I am joined by Tom Gregory, who is a previous longtime member of RMA Global Markets Council, and also the writer of the RMA Negative Rates Preparedness and Strategy White Paper. He is here to discuss insights from the paper, the likelihood and the consequences of a negative rates policy, and how regulators plan to address the issue. Tom, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Fran. I appreciate the opportunity to actually participate with the RMA on this. This is an interesting survey that's very, very timely. Great. So, Tom, can you give us insight into the thoughts and goals of the survey, the purpose, and all that was done to inform the white paper? Yeah, Fran, um, you said it well that really this was born in the March timeframe as it became obvious that COVID was bearing down on us. It was going to have a huge impact on the markets and on the economy. And the Market Risk Council uh, decided that it would be a good idea actually to go out and to ping member firms to find out their views, views on things like the probability of rates going negative, um, but also the preparedness of them as individual firms and also as uh, an industry. And to think through about whether this was a risk issue that was sort of underserved. If we go back a little bit in history, right, there was a time when the industry was very concerned about negative rates. And there was a lot in the press and in academia following the subprime crisis in 2007 to 2009, the recovery was going slow and it really looked like the toolkit for the regulators might not have been adequate. Certain uh, foreign central banks, specifically in Europe, so Sweden, Switzerland, Denmark, ultimately the Eurozone uh, and also Japan had gone negative. And when we talk about negative rates, I should pause there for a moment just for a clarification of the term, right? That what we're looking at is a, is a negative rate policy from the central bank. Uh, there's plenty of times when rates go negative, particularly in the futures market. That's not necessarily uh, the, the willed policy of the, the regulators, nor is it actually the target rates such as the Fed fund target rate, which is really the, the, the tool used by the U.S. Federal Reserve to manage uh, short rates and ultimately uh, the whole yield curve. Um, so at that time, we went out to uh, all of the member firms to ask them to respond to a survey with primarily structured multi-choice questions, 
but also free form type answers. And we asked, as I say, about um, essentially three categories of things. One was the likelihood and their thinking behind their assessments of the likelihood of a negative rates policy, their readiness to uh, manage those negative rates uh, and the economic consequences of those things. Um, we asked a little bit about the economics, but it was mostly about the, the, the markets themselves. Um, and we also asked about questions surrounding modeling and projections, stress scenarios, the quantitative side of things about both their preparedness and, and their thoughts on those things. 47 firms responded. It was a great array of firms, large, medium-sized, and small. Uh, predominantly U.S. firms, all firms very active in the U.S., but also good participation from Europe and Asia as well. Um, and so with those uh, 47 responses, we also analyzed those and turned around during the summer to ask some clarifying questions and go a little deeper with a number of the firms, which was very informative in helping us to, to understand some of the nuances around negative rates. Thanks, Tom. Uh, financial firms think negative rates in the U.S. are unlikely. Nevertheless, they perceive the risk is high enough to warrant advanced preparation. So how likely is a negative rates policy in the next two years, and what are the factors to consider? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. That's really the meat of the survey itself. There's a number of things that the participants cited that support that it's really unlikely. And again, I'll say it was 70% of the respondents said that there was less than 10% probability of going negative within the next two years. But that said, 26% also said that there was uh, a 10% to 25%. And that's not trivial probabilities in uh, the, the risk management world. You know, when we do VAR, we do a 1% figure or a 99% figure on the, on the left tail. That's for things that would happen once out of 100 tries. So something that is even 10% probability, that's not a trivial probability. So we dove deeper into that. Among the reasons, probably first and foremost, that firms think it's unlikely is that the Fed, especially the chairs, have made clear pronouncements that they feel the existing monetary toolkit is enough and that negative rates aren't necessary. They have low rates where they've pinned it at zero even today, meaning in the 0.25 bit range. They have quantitative easing and they have very significant room under the lines that they have approved for the purchase of assets in order to um, support monetary policy through intervention in the asset markets. And they also are looking at the, the, the probability that the Congress will actually act from a fiscal perspective. And given all those things, plus forward guidance, which they even changed in this window, meaning they take a more aggressive stance towards targeting inflation in an and excuse me, in a symmetric way, whereas before the market perceived it as being symmetric. What that means in practical terms is the Fed has said that if necessary, it will actually hold interest rates low for longer than the market would have thought in the past in order to generate the kind of inflation target that, they, that they're looking for, which is around the 2%. Again, symmetrically, they're not, they're saying they are not afraid to go over. And that changes views in terms of forward guidance, in terms of their commitment to keeping you know, rates near zero or at least low for the long run. So generally firms feel that the Fed pronouncements preclude the likelihood, especially in the short run, um, and even out to the two-year time frame that, that the Fed would actually change its mind and, and change the uh, toolkit that it's using. 
they point to, and some of these are underlying reasons for the, the Fed's reasoning as well, mixed results in other economies. The results in Europe and in Japan are mixed with respect to whether interest rates below zero have actually provoked or stoked aggregate demand. Um, that's a really broad ranging academic and empirical argument. Um, but it's generally thought that the impact was less, uh, less, less, it was smaller than what was anticipated. Um, as most of these economies took longer, even in the United States, which didn't go negative to recover from the, the 2007 to 2009 uh, recession. Um, another factor is that banks think that on a, on a micro level, the compression of net interest margins caused by negative rates also works against the Fed's intended target of credit recreation. In other words, banks are reluctant to take the yield curve. If the yield curve is coming down because rates are negative, there's a compression of, of spreads and banks will be less profitable. Less profitable means less capital creation. Less capital means lower uh, appetite for, for lending. There's also a number of operational challenges cited by many of the respondents. Operational challenges include IT systems or legal contracts that are either not capable of handling negative rates or that are ambiguous. Many of the firms noted that there had not yet been a successful sweep through all of the legal contracts to, to actually identify where there are floors or where there aren't. Um, and a number of firms astutely pointed out that since the market is so unused to the concept of negative rates, there might be significant customer education, customer communications that would need to be done, particularly among fiduciaries and, and when it comes to the, uh, to the retail space, the customers would be confused by negative rates. And so there's a long lead time that they think that the Fed would want to allow um, before ever going negative so that people could address something like that. Um, there's also a number of structural items, structural um, obstacles that would at least slow any adoption of negative rates. Um, and the biggest of these really cited across the board, it's, it's a market difference between the U.S. market and uh, the United States, um, but it's the break the buck risk on money market funds. There's a very large non-bank financial industry in the United States, proportionally larger than any of the other large uh, major economies. And so the break the buck risk, which is related to essentially the $1 net asset value guarantee on money funds, you know, think of it this way, that if negative rates were to eventuate, it would be impossible to actually preserve the principal value. Um, and a number of people pointed that out. And then it would be, particularly if the adoption of negative rates were, were abrupt, it would be very, very disruptive for the market, it would inject a lot of volatility. Um, likely the money funds would actually withdraw from the market. Now, there are some ideas that have been floated about how they might restructure to accommodate that, uh, but clearly those would be medium to longer term um, and possibly even require regulatory and, and legal changes. On, on the legal front too, mentioning that, there's also the fact that even the 2006 law, which made legal the payment of uh, interest on reserves at the Fed, um, that law makes no mention of a depositor having to pay interest, and it's thought that that would have to be amended. It's not that that's an impossibility, but it certainly is an obstacle that would actually, again, slow adoption. Um, and another related uh, market structure and legal question is the government-sponsored entities, like the federal home loan banks, 
and also the mortgage lenders like uh, Ginnie Mae and, and Freddie Mac. The issue there is they currently do not legally receive interest on reserves deposited at the Fed. And since there's no mention of interest, it's pretty clear that they would not be required to pay interest. Um, at that moment, they would have an incentive to deposit at the Fed and not place those, those funds in the short-term market. That would be very disruptive. They're extremely large, extremely large uh, suppliers of short-term liquidity in this market. So as you can see, there's, there's a number of things that have been cited. Um, it also, probably the last that I would add is just safe haven currency as well. Um, there's a big question mark that overhangs whether the United States would want to have negative rates, whether that wouldn't fundamentally challenge people's view with respect to its being a safe haven currency and might be destabilizing from an international economics perspective. This one isn't, isn't completely thought through yet, and I think significant additional thought has to be given to that one, but it's absolutely a fair, a fair point um, that we step into the unknown in a way that no other country would because our country has a, a, um, a significantly different status from that perspective. The, the, the Fed has never actually said never. And, and that's not a surprise, given the necessary ambiguity that's left by most Fed chairs when they testify before Congress or speak before industry groups. Um, and they clearly have said that they don't need negative rates now. I guess the overarching question is there are conditions that could eventuate where they would change their minds. In, in, in addition, um, others have already done it. When I say in addition, I mean, in addition, the things that make it rather or marginally likely or plausible, um, the very fact that the U.S. wouldn't be the first to adopt would, is actually a positive note in terms of that we wouldn't have to be testing completely untested water. A big issue cited by almost every single respondent, um, at least verbally when we interviewed for greater detail, is the CBOT Fed funds futures actually traded negative, traded negative um, during May all the way through until August. And there's some robust controversy around whether that's actually a prediction. It really is a theoretical question about what you think the role of interest rate futures are with respect to prediction of future rates versus whether negative rates or any such rate actually is a reflection of imbalances in the market and technicalities, illiquidity as you go farther out on the, on the curve. Um, but nonetheless, the very fact that Fed funds traveled below zero says that it's another tick in support of the fact that the actual Fed fund rate could go negative. Another one cited by a few firms is that the Fed chose to integrate negative rates starting in 2016 in the CCAR stress testing process. And so that seems like a very significant indication of, once again, the Fed never saying never, that given at that moment, if we go back to 2016, the fact that the recession was continuing to take a long time for recovery, um, that the Fed would consider that firms should be prepared and should actually be studying what would happen if rates went negative by incorporating them into the CCAR scenarios. That's just a suggestion that it's, it's again, it's a never say never uh, item. Not necessarily that they were in any way showing their hand that they were, were inclined towards it, but certainly that firms had to be ready and be thinking about it. Another thing is we noted a bunch of operational issues, uh, the legal contracts issue, even the money market dollar nav. All of these, while they have significant 
impact on specific players, plus on the industry as a whole, they're all more or less handleable, or I guess I would say navigable. Maybe the choice, it would be um, unappetizing to have to do so, um, but they don't present total obstacles altogether. Um, I'll touch on the last, and this is probably most important, but for the longer run, and, and it started to become evident as we analyzed the results, that there really probably are two timeframes that we should be thinking about, and that we certainly were focused on the two-year horizon. But as you look farther out, that possibility for fundamental restructuring where negative rates would be allowed, some thinkers, and there's one particular thinker, Ken Rogoff up at Harvard, who really leads the charge on this one, some thinkers think that we really should be prepared for negative rates credibly because the other choices in the Fed toolkit, particularly quantitative easing, it really potentially leads to credit allocation. That the Fed was established, that all central banks are established to a degree because of the need for independence from political forces. And in order to use tools that don't actually intervene in the market in any way, signaling that the state is is allocating credit but with quantitative easing with the ever larger balance sheet of the fed and particularly with the corporate credit purchase programs it becomes clear that the fed is in a position right to be intervening in the private credit uh, markets uh, and many players are uneasy with the implications of that and and significantly would question whether there isn't a limit at some point and which the idea of negative rates should be added to the toolkit so that's a that's a a whole lot of um, pros and cons, but really we have to underscore that in the end the preponderance of tendencies is that we and the industry does not think that there's a high degree of of uh, probability weighted on going negative in, in the near term. I'm going to throw out too. We've mentioned different conditions. We certainly know we're at a moment of uh, significant optimism with COVID given that in the UK, at least, the, the, the vaccine is being rolled out. So things seem to be going well with respect to the health aspects of the COVID recession. And if those continue to go well, um, perhaps that optimism will, will be uh, infused throughout the whole market. But at the same time, there could be disruptions with that, or could, there could be an unforeseen shock, which would actually uh, be a demand shock, which would then throw us back into a world where negative rates would be talked of as a tool in addition to all of the ones that are out there. It's not to say that we're saying it's likely at all. Uh, I think from the RMA's perspective, uh, this is really an issue that we're just saying is one to keep an eye on, uh, to think about doing some advanced work. Great, thanks, Tom. And you know, there are several other central banks outside the US that have crossed the zero rate floor. From the survey and the interviews that we did, what were uh, any of the lessons learned and how do you think this will affect the US's decision? Yeah, definitely, we, we've already cited that the we wouldn't be first movers anymore and so that's taken a big psychological obstacle out um at the same time i'd have to throw out you know we can count the countries and and think of it as you know a large number of countries who have tested this it's important to distinguish the the smaller open economies switzerland first among them but sweden and denmark um these policies also have to do with the uh, prevention of overvaluation in a small open economy. So those cases are, they're instrumental for us, but they're probably less so than Japan and the Eurozone. And so, you know, focusing on those first and foremost, um, 
one of the issues is that economists and analysts disagree on the impact from negative rates on the economies, right? It kind of goes both ways. Some see the, the impact as modest, but positive along traditional analysis, econometric analysis of what demand would otherwise have been. So it's not like negative rates have pulled off any miracle bounce back, but there are measurable impacts with respect to GDP, um, measurable, measurable positive tendencies that wouldn't have been there without the negative rates. Um, but others really are looking at the long term, uh, the fact that Japan and Europe stayed in recession and had a long run challenge to pull out of it after the United States in the middle 2010s, um, suggesting that maybe there was even a psychological effect that was a suppressing effect that came from negative rates. Um, a handful of commentators note that particularly on the first announcement of negative rates, it might be that the market takes that as a surprise and that the that it's a signal that the central bank thinks things are worse than the market was generally perceiving beforehand. Others have also pointed out that um, perhaps, you know, particularly before coronavirus is controlling for, you know, that that's an extraordinary event and suddenly we're in, a, in an uh, environment in which the prior empirical evidence does, doesn't apply now. Um, but that there was sort of a ratchet effect, which the central banks were afraid that coming out of negative rates, and I think a lot was written on Sweden in particular, were concerned that they would spook the market as they tried to, to come back. So a lot like the questions we have about quantitative easing, how will the Fed ultimately start to reduce its balance sheet without disrupting the market? The same thing applies on negative rates. And some people are afraid to go into that, enter that ratchet where they feel that it, their um, negative rates are more difficult to, uh, to escape. I, I think that's probably the unfortunately ambiguous picture that, that gets painted by these things. Um, what, one more thing that I would point out, people like Ken Rogoff, who take negative rates very, very seriously, look at the situation um, and outright think that those negative rates in current policies in the Eurozone and in Japan, um, that those are so small as to be ineffective which is a little extraordinary to say, because crossing that barrier seems to be such a big thing. Um, but they argue that structural changes should be made in the market so that more dramatically negative interest rates would actually be possible. Arguing, of course, that with those dramatic rates, they would then provoke uh, um, demand and you'd have a quick, quicker turnaround with that. All of this, of course, is, is controversial to that degree still instructive for more for the longer run for the United States than, than the medium term or the short run. Thanks. And, and Tom, from the research that we conducted, what were the biggest challenges respondents are facing with regard to preparedness uh, for the Fed going to negative rates? As we talked about in some of the obstacles to, to negative rates, um, firms talking from their own book, from a micro level of a single firm, they, they, would, they called out things like systems impacts. And for some of the firms, certainly not all of them, some of the firms, the challenges are actually the unknown, meaning there wasn't actually yet a full inventory of what the impact of negative rates would be on their systems. There might be greater clarity in the industry around the impact on specific models, models used for valuations, models used for risk management, and even the scenarios, uh, especially the largest banks seem to have dealt with, with stress testing and scenarios for negative rates. But to a degree, it seemed that a number of firms had not actually put their finger on what all of the implications were. As an example, while a large number of firms 
are confident that their loan systems can actually handle negative rates. One of the issues becomes, did they also put their finger, do they have the inventory on those loans which actually have a floor, if it's a LIBOR or prime linked uh, loan, for example? Um, and again, I would underscore in most cases, the respondents were not saying that they weren't ready in the sense that their systems did not handle these things, but they had yet to actually uh, do the formal inquiry to actually confirm this. And that's partly because of the flood of other issues, and particularly this year, COVID itself. Um, it was generally noted, particularly in the conversations after the, the uh, survey, that the LIBOR transition, while most firms thought that this would not have too deleterious an impact on the LIBOR transition, um, they actually saw a bright thing, a bright spot anyway, that their efforts with respect to, to LIBOR transition probably gave them the project infrastructure and the inventory of models, systems, and products that were sensitive to US rates to actually then structure a project to go deeper on this um, in order to be prepared for negative rates. Another thing that people noted was ambiguity around the readiness with respect to contracts. And that meant whether their contracts, whether they be derivative contracts, loan contracts, all the different classes of contracts, whether they spelled out anything particular about negative rates for indexed products. And again, whether there were any floors. And there was not 100% certainty that for all of the firms, I should say, that they knew of all places where they had a nonlinear payout based on, on uh, negative rates. In other words, there could be implicit floors and they had not done the homework yet. That was one that I think people self-identified as one of their now priorities. Um, and given that we're a handful of months past the, the deadline of the, the survey, I'm sure some have made progress on that. Um, I noted customer communication and education. This was particularly for those who were focused on the retail side of things. Uh, people were very concerned about what negative rates would mean for retail product. Um, most thought that it was almost inconceivable that you'd ever have a negative rate on a mortgage as, as actually empirically did and does exist in Denmark. Um, but some of the other loan product that might be indexed people thought that that would create a significant challenge for the retail clientele and that there may be some formal or informal fiduciary responsibility to start education of folks in advance of actually having to go negative. Um, and that was an area that people noted that they were going to look into and, and sort of rise to the challenges. I noted models. Models seem to be a bright spot. Now, when I say a bright spot, that by no means does that mean 100% of the respondents thought that they were ready. Uh, but greater than the majority tended to think that their models were in good shape. And this had a lot to do with any of the global, globally active firms had faced negative rates in particularly in Euroland and in Switzerland. Um, and so their models for valuation were adapted. You know, there are particular challenges when you look at valuation models and, and uh, risk management models in the rates world with respect to volatility, particularly there's a high degree of complexity with respect to the um, volatility surface. But it seems that where firms face the greatest general challenges, 
they also had risen to that challenge because they had some of their best quant people working on these things. And as I say, they'd faced it in other markets, so they clearly had to have addressed it before. The issue seems to be greater with respect to smaller and domestic firms. And that's more about uncertainty than it is about having identified any problems. And there are also pockets. It, we did uh, query based on the specific product type and both systems and models. Um, it, you would say in the mortgage space is an area where people had a question mark above all. Uh, rates trading, FX, uh, even equities seem to be that people had a good handle on it. Um, but in the mortgage space, there was clearly a lower percentage of people who responded that they they had it completely under control. Um, I think again, it, they didn't. Um, we didn't go to this level of detail, but I think that you can actually surmise from the responses that the issue isn't the analytics. Uh, the issue is more about bolting it into the data, um, and and that's a uh, something to be dealt with and something to put on the agenda. Um, the other thing that we we I noted was the break the buck risk. Um, that one we could do an entirely separate program on. Uh, it's a very interesting problem. It is something that distinguishes the U.S. It looks like it would require an utter restructuring of the uh, money market funds market. And the in, in Europe, we know that folks have dealt with it um, in part with a decrementing procedure um, which reduces the principal by the amount of the negative interest rate, which of course works abstractly. It does provide certainty of the valuation, but insofar as the rates are moving, it's not a guarantee of, of the principal as it originally uh, was held. And so it's conceptually um, a challenge for us um, to think about how the market would react in those cases. I do think that participants believe that the market will respond but the issue is about the timing when it um, would be required to respond and, and certainly a strong preference not to have to. Um, so I think people are pulling for the other uh, other um, tools in the toolkit for the Fed to succeed and not having to face these issues. And I guess that lends itself to, you know, the next question around what are some of the consequences of a negative rates policy and how are the regulators addressing the issue? Um, the, the survey... Responses with respect to the economic impact are interesting because the survey uh, participants saw some likely unintended consequences of negative rates as well. Um, and those can be chalked up as even the possibility for a near-term asset bubble, that it would actually, you know, QE is already doing that, but that it would stoke the fire even further and you'd have excessive risk-taking. Um, there was some, um, some concern about the financial sector itself and about the decreased profitability and whether you might even see that um, result in a sequence of events, which would, would result in some possible uh, solvency issues for some firms at the margin. Another one, people, people do feel that there would be a misallocation of economic uh, resources, in particular sort of the, the disincentive to save, possibly, and, and the incentive to borrow, which is such a fundamental incentive structure in what we do that, that people continue to think that that in and of itself is um, a dire consequence that, that we'd want to avoid. And, and generally, generally, I think it was thought that it would you know, possibly overshoot from the perspective of uh, its impact there. So, so firms you know, see it as likely to increase volatility in the short run and then um, 
something that would really be an event they would have to navigate quite uh, carefully thereafter. Um, the regulators, in terms of addressing this question, are generally tight-lipped. The regulators continue to speak firmly and openly, publicly, that they don't see negative rates as a, certainly not a necessary step, not a desirable step, um, and that they would continue to use forward guidance, quantitative easing, and near zero uh, rates pinned practically there with, with this change in, in future guidance. So they're trying to keep up a very um, firm stance that negative rates are you know, not expected at present time. And, and there's greater credibility because of the rebounds in the markets since the lows early in the, in the coronavirus. Um, there is some research being done by regulators, by researchers within the Fed. Um, I think that none of it points to a proclivity for the Fed to do other than what the chairs are saying. Uh, it does show that there is a fundamental desire to analyze negative rates in the empirical experiments in Europe and Japan. Um, and I think we've said that the very inclusion of negative rate scenarios in the 2016 CCOR and on, that those indicate you know, a signal to the largest banks that they should be prepared for such. Again, I think the Fed is very, very cautious not to suggest to um, that they are entertaining these at the moment um, for good reason with respect to stability. And I think we can take them at their word. Uh, but that said, we also have to take them at their silence when they come in the fact that they never said never. Um, there is, we did talk to some of the firms about the dialogue with the regulars. Of course, they can't disclose anything. Um, but they did agree with the interpretation that the inclusion within CCAR suggests that the regulators would not want firms to not see this as a possibility over the long run. Great. So, Tom, in, in the first question, uh, you had mentioned that we had interviewed various firms to get extra color into negative rates preparedness and strategy. Uh, did they have any advice, especially for smaller institutions, on how they should prepare now for a negative rates policy. Absolutely. Um, above all, the recommendation, the number one rec recommendation was self-knowledge, right? Get going now um, to inventory the systems, the models, the contracts, um, to anticipate the issues that you might have. One large firm in this regard, probably we would say the best in class, though we didn't we did not interview the whole industry, um, has set up a formal project structure to make sure that they are actually analyzing and exhausting, running to ground the whole issue, um, so that they could be. It's 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 like buying an option. The more that you um, have self knowledge, and the more that you've thought through how you would react, you have uh, far greater options to actually react in the in the end. Um, a particular focus recommended is that banks look at their third-party vendors, that they work with their third-party vendors on those vendors' preparedness. That would be loan system and um, valuation and risk model providers in particular, as you would do with any due diligence with a third-party vendor with respect to operational risk, that you go a little deeper and make sure that they genuinely are prepared. It was recommended that people identify weak spots and actually cost out and prepare a remediation plan so that there's no surprises. It's admitted that 
given all of the other competing attention uh, grabbers from the risk world, that it might be difficult within 2020 to do anything about these issues. But at least that self-knowledge of having a plan of what it would take to address things will actually, again, help you with faster response if the probability of negative rates uh, rises. One of, one of the points that was made, and I think this is, uh, goes for any one of these risk events that one has to anticipate, it would be to reinforce the responsibilities for dealing with these things. Um, I would suggest that even in the absence of a, uh, of a, uh, a remediation plan itself, um, the sentiment here is that if firms, if senior managers know who is supposed to deal with things and has firmly assigned that, with respect to if negative rates uh, do come about, um, if they ask some very good, uh, effective challenge questions to move people deeper, um, that ability to hold people responsible when something significant happens will be very, very valuable. And this is the kind of issue, negative rates, that everyone assumes where the responsibilities are. It shouldn't be left as an assumption. It should actually be made explicit as if this is a, this is a real possibility. Um, again, a firm may rationally choose not to expend resources and act immediately, uh, but they should not be ignorant of what the impacts would be on their firm and where they would have to make uh, changes rapidly if things were to deteriorate in the economy and the Fed would have to uh, resolve to negative rates. Um, there are, of course, always some cost-effective preparation things that could be done, and large firms point that out in particular. New contracts should be um, the, the, the templates should be amended as soon as possible to deal with the questions of negative rates um, and to mitigate the problem. Um, you know, again, we're not necessarily looking at the two-year window. The utility of negative rates might be a longer-term prospect. Um, again, one that people don't, people hope that that goes away, but given that it came up during the subprime crisis and recovery, and now it's coming up again, um, firms do well to have a forward look and think about stopping any future problems. They can deal with the book of business at a future date, but business going forward might be able to be amended and, and at very little cost and with significantly greater uh, awareness by clients and by all the agents who work in the firm. Um, and then for all firms, and maybe this applies particularly the smaller firms who aren't in CCAR and don't necessarily have the guidance uh, or let's say the pressure of the Fed uh, and their other regulators um, to look at negative rate scenarios and to use those to not only gauge what the economic impacts would be, uh, which is extraordinarily important, right? But also to use the process of sizing the impact to flush out the issues around the operations and the analytics um, and even the management in terms of how to get uh, your mind around what these negative rates mean for the specific products. So, you know, overall, there's nothing particularly unique about negative rates, except that they permeate, you know, rates permeates essentially every product because every product is in one way or another discounted. Um, and so the need for self-knowledge about all the darker corners of, on all of the products, all of the systems, um, and even all of the, the contracts um, become something significant and something that should be done in an orderly way. Great. Thanks, Tom. And on behalf of RMA, 
thank you for your time today, as well as your support and contributions to RMA over the last 10 years. And for our listeners, stay tuned for more information on this topic, as well as model risk management and model validation topics. Thank you. Thank you, friend. It was a pleasure.